Modern Rock for Cincinnati and Dayton, 97X. Nice tune from the Arizona band, the Silos with Tennessee Fire. Uh, also, we heard from Love and Rockets and Cake with Rock and Roll Lifestyle. Speaking of Cake, they'll be one of the bands on the social distancing six-pack tonight at 1020. Of course, with their song, The Distance. I believe the Proclaimers 500 Miles will be on the six-pack, but you'll need to tune in to find out all the other bands that will be on the six-pack. Of course, Day. brought to you by Budweiser, Day. our only sponsor. Day. Sorry? Day. Yes. No. No six-pack. No. Um, really? Social distancing would be a good idea at present, uh-huh. but 97X is no more. We're just doing a podcast. Normally, you or and I are both in my basement, the Party Dungeon. Yeah. But um, due to the current pandemic, you're at your um, palatial mansion somewhere north of Cincinnati, and I'm still Mm -hmm. in the party dungeon. But the good news is um, we have somebody that knows quite a bit about music and actually has spent a lot of his career helping promote indie bands, much like uh, 97X did. Craig Snyder joins us. Craig, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Now, Craig, uh, we came across uh, a, a piece you did for Medium about how we need people instead of AI algorithms. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've worked with bands, uh, you know, throughout my entire career, and the technology world keeps uh, bringing all kinds of, you know, inventions, ways to, you know, basically replace what artist development used to be. And um, something I'm a firm believer of is that there's nothing that can really replace what uh, a trusted set of ears will will tell you about what band you should be listening to. And, you know, it's something I learned uh, very early on actually listening to 97X, where, uh, you know, that station turned me on to so much great music and I developed a level of trust with uh, the DJ and um, knew that, you know, if someone was telling me as a, as a 12 year old who had a $20 budget each week to buy CDs, hey, this band is good. Um, it wasn't like I was showing up to Looney T-Birds in Oxford and uh, buying a record that had one good song and the rest of it was uh, utter crap. You know, it was uh, you know, really developing that, that trusted set of ears and you know, as I've worked with bands over time, it's something I've really preached. It's like every band will play to two people at a room and make no money some night. And, you know, there are bands that show up and they they play really well to those two people, knowing that those two people probably know at least two other people <laughs> that will bring them to the show next time. And there's bands that don't. So, um, you know, the Medium article that you wrote uh, was something that was on my mind for a long time through, uh, you know, just throughout years of seeing what uh, what the great bands that grow their audience uh, do and, and what the ones that are a bunch of complainers don't. And so you grew up, obviously, within earshot of 97X. Did you grow up in Cincinnati? Where? I was actually in Oxford, Ohio. Oh, wow. Uh, kind of close to the Oxford Country Club, if you knew where that uh, nine-hole golf course was. Uh, we're not much were on the Country able, Club. Were, yeah. were you able to get the signal there? I was, yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, good, good. If he turned a corner. Which was the only thing that mattered. Only yeah. on the front nine, Dave, not on the back nine. 
But I, I no. feel like you're yet another example of, of what uh, I would call listeners that were ruined for life because yeah. I, I feel like that early listening to 97X kind of helped shape the arc of your career path. So tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Yeah, well, first, uh, thanks for ruining my life. Um, <laughs> but I was really into music. I was a kid that uh, not only liked to consume a lot of music and turn friends on to music, but, you know, I was was that kid that was making mixtapes and, you know, illegally taping, you know, what you guys were playing on the air. And then I had quite the duplication operation in my bedroom with multiple uh, dual tape decks where I was making, you know, mixtapes for friends. You know, I eventually I I started playing music myself and I went to I went to college at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute um, to become an electrical engineer because I thought I would love to design guitar pedals. But <laughs> but really uh, something I think I, I realized very quickly, you know, with starting a couple other bands up there is I really had more of a knack for the business side. And I was really more fascinated with how people consume music and how they, um, you know, are turned on to new music. And, um, you know, that really led me down a road where I responded to a Facebook ad and uh, for a, uh, a record label internship, uh, lo and behold, the record label happened to be EMI who was working with uh, Radiohead and uh, Beastie Boys and a bunch of uh, really great bands. And, you know, basically I, I was a slave to EMI for about a year and a half, just stuffing envelopes and uh, rubber cementing, uh, you know, POP posters that would uh, then be placed inside of record stores. And you know, at this point I was in the city. You know, one of the things I would say from that record dubbing operation and, you know, that led to me learning how to use a four track and that led me into eventually learning how to use Pro Tools so I could record music and make uh, mixtapes and things like that a, a bit easier than uh, using analog uh, cassette tapes. And, you know, lo and behold, I uh, had a friend that I met in college who, uh, who said to me, uh, hey, man, <laughs> I lied on a job resume and, um, you know, I got this job and I said, I know Pro Tools, but I don't. Will you come over and, you know, show me some things? And I went over and, you know, lo and behold, I immediately recognized the voice of what he was working on. And that was uh, Little Steven's Underground Garage. And, you know, he was offering to pay me and like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll buy a pizza and some beer, you know, you know, next time or whatever. And I'm like, nah, dude, just give me a call if there's a job uh, that opens up over there. And he gave me a call the next day. <laughs> so it's kind of how I got into this mess. Yeah, well, which on. is really Craig, cool. Craig, a quick question. You said you were a slave to EMI. So were the Sex Pistols. That's right. And that's why they wrote the song. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that college buddy lying on his resume led you to nearly a decade working as a producer for Little Steven's Underground Garage. Correct, yeah. It was uh, wild times, man. <laughs> So tell us, like, the producer role, Des- describe that briefly. Well, you know, what I would say is it was a really interesting time um, in the music and industry period because everything was becoming digital. You know, I was hired to basically just edit uh, commercial spots. 
Uh, so I was editing all of the advertisements of uh, our sponsors like Dunkin' Donuts and Hard Rock Cafe and Pepsi and uh, Olympus and, you know, go right down the list. Around that time, uh, some crazy people at Sirius uh, Radio and XM Radio all thought, hey, maybe it would be a good idea to give uh, little Steven his own channel. And uh, it became um, kind of a weird bidding war where, you know, between Sirius and XM about who's going to get Steven. And, you know, it started with, hey, can we get Little Steven's Underground Garage, which was a once a week uh, terrestrial FM radio show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went to them and said, well, give us a channel. And then both of them offered the channel. And it was like, well, give us give us two channels. And uh, Sirius um, actually gave us two channels, which were Underground Garage and LF Country. Right around that time, we had to figure out, well, you know, basically, holy shit. Um, now we have to figure out how to fill the airwaves for 24 hours, you know, a day, seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year. So what do we do? So ultimately, that was a lot of my job, you know, because we didn't want to hire um, necessarily, uh, you know, the idea with Sirius was um, let's hire people that live their stories. So. I became uh, the producer for Joan Jett's radio show. I produced um, the original manager of the Rolling Stones and producer, um, Andrew Lou Goldham. I produced uh, Kim Fowley. And and then we had all these like crazy guest spots. And I had no idea what I was doing. You know, the school I went to didn't have a really great college radio program. But yet I had, uh, you know, uh, know, been doing like mixtapes and shows and... Certainly, I had consumed a ton of radio, and really, it was like kind of creating something from scratch uh, and doing everything trial by by fire. So, you know, we we ended up uh, creating this giant playlist, and it was like, well, how do you mesh song garage rock songs from the 1960s with um, songs that play, you know, that that are new now, like the White Stripes and the Strokes and all those bands that were coming out of that garage rock scene in the early 2000s. And then how do we mix in like rockabilly and girl groups and all of this stuff? I mean, basically our format was everything that influenced the Ramones and everything that was influenced by the Ramones. Um, So, I mean, it was, it was a bizarre time, but you know, something I've done throughout my entire career is, you know, you figure it out. All that time uh, creating mixtapes for your buddies of like 97X songs, like prepared you for that moment. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had to uh, definitely figure out how to keep people listening. You know, and I think that's something that I I learned, you know, from, you know, 97X and and certainly uh, listening to WFMU, you know, when I was in New York. No, it's really like you want to play a song. If you're going to take a chance and try to turn someone on to something new, if they hate it, that next song that you play better be the best thing that they've heard today. Yeah, very cool. And and so uh, beyond Little Steven's Underground Garage, a uh, couple other gigs. I know Reverb Nation and then uh, recently started at another company. So talk a little bit about both those gigs. Yeah, so around around Underground Garage time, I started actually managing bands. Um, so I started working with a band called the Howleys. I uh, worked with um, a band uh, that's is still going called the Loxley, or uh, sorry, uh, Low Cut Connie. Sorry, I've got poster up right there. 
Um, but I worked with Luca Connie and uh, they're a boogie woogie rock and roll band from Philly that is still going very strong. So, you know, I really got into the mar artist management side and that really led me down a lot of other paths uh, to try to understand uh, really how this digital you know, world was actually helping bands and helping them grow audiences. And I met the guys at uh, Reverb Nation while I was at Underground Garage. You know, with little Steven, we had all these crazy ideas. You know, you know Stevie would have a, a table in the center of our office, and basically whenever he'd have a crazy idea, he would just shout it out. It could be a paper mache volcano that we needed to build in the middle of the office the next day with real flowing lava, or let's start uh, a documentary about Hazel Atkins, some obscure guitar player from Arkansas. Yeah. Or, you know, it was, why don't we have our own social network? That day, I just said, well, do you want to be the next Facebook? Because uh, I don't think you can, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd seen Reverb Nation at the time starting to come up as a basically a, a Facebook for artists that also provided a number of artists tools to help with promotion. Ended up just setting up a meeting with them, have them come into the office and try to persuade uh, Stevie not to create a rock and roll social network. And they did a very good job. <laughs> we still went ahead with it. <laughs> uh, that being said, you know, I ended up just talking with those guys for years. Uh, and, you know, I started noticing that they were working closer with record labels and working closer with radio and and really solving this this idea of uh, knocking down the wall of gatekeepers. So, you know, years down the road, I um, ended up having a conversation with them and they were telling me what they were working on in terms of uh, being more of an A&R tool and being a, a, a better tool for festivals to find emerging talent. and it sounded really good to me at the time. And I was looking to do something new. And uh, essentially I pitched this idea of starting an indie label, um, A&R fund, where we would help fund uh, the discovery of, uh, of indie bands and work with indie labels who oftentimes, the reason they don't sign another band is, you know, a matter of, you know, three to $5,000. And my idea was, well, that's great marketing for a, a site like Reverb Nation and, get to do something good and turn an artist onto a label and help create artist development, then um, cool. And they love the idea and they let me run with it. So that's what I did uh, for basically up until uh, the end of 2019. And that led me to my current job working at Light, where um, if there's one thing I'll, I'll tell you about me, I love solving complex problems in the music industry. And we've touched on radio, we've touched on uh, labels, we've touched on uh, management. And, you know, the, the place that I, I didn't, you know, I, I hadn't done as much, um, but, you know, I had a job in between where I was working with uh, Ticketmaster um, and helping them create digital bundles um, where artists could in include an album with uh, a ticket to try to drive some additional bonus revenue. And, you know, I just saw what uh, my friends at Light were doing in in terms of creating secondary networks that benefit venues and uh, festivals and artists or what we call the rights holders and really put fans in seats. So it's, uh, it's been a really fun, um, fun couple months just getting up to speed with them. Um, even in these coronavirus times. Yeah. So, so you're 
uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot of live gigs going on right now, but it's L-Y-T-E dot com. And Correct. Uh, like, as I was trying to describe it to date, I mean, is it kind of like a hotels.com for venues and for festivals? Is that too glib of a thing or? No, you're actually hitting on exactly um, some of the pain points that we're trying to solve. We are essentially a reservation platform. Historically, we've sat on the secondary uh, side, you know, in, in place of StubHub or you know, fans selling tickets on Craigslist or Facebook. But, you know, we're solving a couple problems at light. One is, you know, what, what is every ticket that you've ever bought um, since you've been going to shows say on it? It says no returns, oh, no okay. refunds. Yeah. It's happening rain or shine. You're yeah. not getting your money back no matter what. Yeah. Um, and uh, what Light said is, why can't fans return tickets? Um, if you can't go to the show, like, why can't you return a ticket? And why can't you, you know, put that ticket that you returned into someone else's hands? Um, because, you know, the average uh, no-show rate for, for a show is um, between 20 and 30%. Really, what we're trying to do is give fans a way to return tickets. We put a uh, basically a lower price than what we're seeing across all the other secondary platforms. So that way we can undercut um, all the other platforms that are price gouging. And then we can, um, you know, also just, uh, you know, create a better fan experience. Um, so it's a. Uh, it's a pretty cool company, and honestly, with coronavirus, like we're busier than ever because everyone is looking to postpone a show. And you know, if you look at festivals or venues, so many of them are on the brink of um, of folding. You know, depending on you know if they're able to keep the cash in house. You know, if they have to refund every show, a lot of these venues are going to close. You know, it's going to be a very, very different landscape in just a couple months because most venues, you know, have 30 to 60 days of runway. And with with light, we can work with venues and we can work with fans and say, hey, yeah, it sucks. The show's not happening. Let's give you some options. Hopefully the show is going to be postponed and we'll just roll your tickets into that new date. But if it's not, let's have you return tickets to light. And let's let fans that are feeling good about going to that show in the fall, you know, buy your tickets. First of all, the fact that you listen to 97X and what you're doing now makes my nine years there proud because what you're doing is what I listen to and think about all the time. So fantastic. Secondly, I'm going to go back to when you were at the, uh, the, the school wanting to make guitar pedals you would be a millionaire if you could make a guitar pedal that would make all guitar players sound good. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> the magic pedal, I believe is what it's called. It's like a unicorn. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, I, I'm going to be remiss. Uh, first of all, I found out about Low Cut Connie at a Reverend Horton Heat show in Cincinnati about eight not nah, eight years ago, probably four or five years ago, with a guy wearing a low-cut Connie t-shirt. And I asked him about it, and I went home to Spotify, listened to him, and now I love low-cut Connie. That's how I found out about him in Cincinnati. See, that's great. You know, a good t-shirt. You know, mm -hmm. I think every band needs a black t-shirt with, with white script. Yes, <laughs> you're right. And it's the easiest one to read in a club. 
<laughs> and, and I'm going to plug you one other thing. You have an unbelievable uh, Spotify, what you're listening to. When I look at your, you're now playing 2020, 30 songs stuck in my ears. Besides Low Cut Connie, you have Flying Burrito Brothers. You have Tim Burgess. You have Catholic Action. It's it's a great list. Ah, thanks, man. So how often do you, do you put a new one of those up? So uh, I like to have routines. So I try to refresh 20% of that playlist every week. And, you know, sometimes it, it's a little bit more. Sometimes it's a little bit less. But I try to at least get six new songs in there and take six songs that uh, I'm not listening to as much, or maybe I just heard it once and it was that impulse. But I, I try to keep it changing just so that way, you know, people are always seeing something new. So how can folks get to it? Uh, so you could follow me on uh, Twitter or Instagram and I post, uh, I usually will, will just put a post up there every time I, uh, I update it. So it's uh, Craig B. Snyder, um, and that's S-N-Y-D-E-R, on both platforms. That's awesome. So you get a, a lifetime yeah. of promoting music and all based on listening to music in Oxford when you were a youngster. It's pretty damn cool. One yeah. last question, because Bella Lugosi's, we've, we've done two of them now, but what song in your mind uh, would sum up 97X that you heard on the station, Craig? Oh God, um, I would I would love to give a plug to Twelve Rods. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I was in high school like a year after those guys left, um, but certainly that whole EP Gay. Um, what was it? Songs to make out to. Um, yes. Or make out song. That was the name of the the song. Yeah. So that that'll be one. And you know, you guys turned me on to so much other stuff. Brainiac, Breeders. Um, Mazzy Star, My Bloody Valentine, um, Primal Scream, you know, so many things that are, are still staples in my life. I want to give one plug out. Uh, the new Brainiac uh, documentary is fantastic. I, I think it's on Amazon now, and you have to watch it. Yep, it's awesome. I actually went oh. to the premiere. <laughs> oh, cool deal. Good. Yeah. Wow. You're still plugged in after all these years. That's that's very cool. And I'll echo what Dave said about Low Cut Connie, one of the best live bands I've seen. Very entertaining. And I know they've been doing a couple of um, you know virtual house concerts in the coronavirus era. They have, yeah. And if you want to see Adam uh, stripped down to his skivvies, uh, you know it it happens every show. So uh, <laughs> you can see, uh, you can definitely see see uh, what Low Connie what Low Cut Connie is about. <laughs> Craig, it's been great catching up with you. Thanks. And uh, when we put this on 97xbam.com, we'll have links to your Medium article, to your playlist, and all that sort of stuff. So thanks very much. We appreciate your time. Yeah, amazing. It's uh, great to connect with you guys. And uh, I love the podcast, so please keep making it. A future of rock and roll. I think it's about time you heard these recordings. 97X. <laughs>